0: Thanks for tuning in. I'm Scott Walter. And I'm Michael Watson. In this episode, students head back to campus amid a perennial debate over free expression on the university campus. This is the Influence Watch podcast. This month, students return to classes at colleges across the nation. And if past events are any indication, they return to debates over free speech, academic freedom, and intellectual pluralism. Recent school years have seen occasionally violent demonstrations by far-left extremist students at the University of Missouri, Evergreen State College, Middlebury College, and other schools that target the ability of dissenting speakers from both right and left to offer their views. Conservative state legislators have responded by advancing legislation to ensure that students have the ability to hear dissenting views, but higher education industry interests have challenged those efforts. Uh, Mike, can you give us a little bit of the background on uh, this question?
1: Just how far left is academia? Very is is the shor- is the short answer. The long answer. Uh so, Heterodox Academy, which is a membership organization of academics who are in favor of intellectual pluralism, uh, they have compiled some of the data. There has been there have been surveys conducted over the years, and what the surveys have found is that up to about sixty percent of uh, university professors self-identify as either liberal or further left. So, you know, Marxists, and uh, you know, there might be a Maoist somewhere. Um, oh, more than one. <laughs> Um, 30% identify as moderate, I'm going to come back to that, and only 10% identify as either conservative or something else on the right, like a libertarian or, you know, some a far right.
0: Yeah. And that's when they're asked about their political views, but when they're, when people have done surveys of their actual registration by
1: party- Right, yeah, right. Once you, <laughs> once we, we get back to that moderate, moderate question when we get to voting intention, and- Public opinion polling over the past couple of decades has shown that people who self-identify as moderates are strongly likely to be dem- to be Democrats. They kind of form the the center-left faction. The Bill Clinton, the Mike Bloomberg, the um, I'm straining at more recent names. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're being fewer. Uh, uh, I'm straining at more recent names, but the that sort of faction of the Democratic Party. Uh, Which, to be fair, they may even be uh, not being uh, somewhat dishonest,
0: they may be somewhat accurate for their milieu, because sure. on campus, sure. to, be to be a Hillary Clinton supporter may be moderate. To
1: be a <laughs> true Clinton, a true third way, a new, what, new Democrat, was that the old term for the Clintonistas when they first appeared? Yes. To You know, to be a new Democrat, or, a you know, to use the British term, new labor, uh, yeah, you're probably in the rightmost quarter. <laughs> um... <laughs> Um,
0: yeah I believe but the most of the surveys that I've seen I know the uh the Martin Center down in North Carolina for instance has has done some of the uh just registration surveys by party um and my recollection is that it's rare that it isn't seven to one, eight to one, nine to one and uh, and that ver- and that campus. varies
1: of course by discipline uh you know business economics law it can be three four to one in something like social psychology, which is where the the guy who founded uh, Heterodox Academy is a guy by the name of Jonathan Haidt. He's written a couple of books. He himself is a liberal, but what one of the things that concerned him was that in social psychology, which is his specialty, the amount, the uh, the number, the sheer weightedness—you know—I think he he did a survey and it was something like 14, 15, 16 to one—is actually throwing off the discipline. <laughs> is actually you have a lot of. Uh, social psychology research that is Either exists just to confirm liberal biases or is the studies are constructed in such a way that even if it's not the intention of the researcher So many biases have been laundered into the research that there's not it can do nothing else but confirm them uh, And, then so, and a, then so a lack of diversity uh, Is not their strength does not yeah, produce I, strength. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I'm not I'm not a big fan of the term intellectual diversity Uh but the the lack of pluralism, the lack of openness to uh, to alternative ways of looking at the world, has created these blind spots, and has created uh, these intellectual weaknesses that uh, that are that are potentially threatening the validity of the field, and that's why that's why he started his his group. Um, and again, it just shows you the the degree to which the modern academy has swung. Hard to the left. Yeah, that's a great point too about the, uh, the the difference that
0: the the discipline makes, which is to say that the softer and more uh, gooey, the discipline typ- typically uh,
1: the more easily it slides to I mean, you got to throw a couple of left. asterisks there. I mean, physicists aren't known to be particularly Republican, uh, but you know, obviously, some of the most gooey, the the X studies, you know, yeah, that's where you're going to get. You, you know, there, there it's it's fourteen to one Marxists to Clintonistas. <laughs> yeah,
0: the the and that's in itself that's it's somewhat interesting because on the one hand, you know, in engineering or something where uh, having precise and correct answers really matter, or we all die. Um, uh, you see, left, less radicalism, but on the other hand, you know, it's it, I. W- you can flip that around. Uh, I remember Alan Bloom, who was a critic of of academia's messiness and and f- collapsing standards way back in the '80s. Uh, he made the complaint that the hard science, so-called hard science folks know how nutty the humanities people are but refuse to stand up to it because they're sort of like, yeah, well I, I don't I don't want to have to be involved in those fights. I don't want to be attacked. So I'm just going to keep my head down. And I think it's not crazy to say no if you're an engineer or um a chemist and you realize other people are have have gone not just somewhat to your left but are somewhat bonkers that you actually do have a responsibility to stand up and well, say it's not a big and problem and in my and department. It's, and but. it's always
1: and it's always hard. Uh you know, I think every political faction over the past couple of years has discovered th- and is discovering that it is very hard to police crazies on your own side. It's not fun. Uh it's not uh it's it's not rewarding. You don't get that sort of endorphin high that you get from, you know, if you're a conservative, you get from owning the libs. Uh, so, you know, yeah, the idea that the moderate Democrats in the engineering department would not be happy, would not be happy, but not willing to do anything about the communists in the uh, sociology department. I mean, it's the same thing as, I mean, how how different is that from uh, some of the struggles that the right, that the intellectual right has had in purging the uh some of, the extreme, some of the extremists on our side. Well, that's true, it's never fun. I, I will say too, for a bit
0: of historical background, one of my prof- I, I am a class of 85 at Georgetown. One of my professors had, uh, several of my professors had gone through the craziness in the 60s. And one of them said that actually, uh, he was known as a conservative and was pretty much left alone by the radicals on his campus. After, I think he was at Michigan maybe at that mm. time. But anyway, he was a known conservative uh, he was a ex Navy guy. They pretty much left him. And he said the people who were really crucified were the precisely the squishy
1: liberals, who weren't on the radical bandwagon. Well, and that's and, and they and that, savagely. Were and, and that's and that continues. Uh, where at my alma mater, College of William and Mary in Virginia, uh, last year, a the I think she was the president of the Virginia State American Civil Liberties Union. So. An, up, an, <laughs> yeah, an, an no right winger an upstanding liberal in good standing <laughs> as of 2 years ago um, the black lives as some black lives Matter supporters came, she was giving a she was giving a speech basically explaining why the ACLU represents unsavory people uh, which is supposedly which precisely is, which, the which, whole reason which it has which has been something that the ACLU has done literally forever uh, or you know since it since it came into the existence in the 1920s um, and some of those unsavory people include neo-fascists and neo-Nazis uh, in famously the the Skokie case yeah, Which uh, was a which was a, which a Chicago a, yeah, neighborhood yeah, filled, with filled with Holocaust survivors With Holocaust survivors and the neo- local neo-Nazis wanted to march through and have uh, a demonstration And the city said the town said for understandable if not necessarily legal reasons. No uh, ACLU took up the case and I believe they ultimately won um, yeah. So, uh, so obviously, in 2017, there was the the, uh, the neo-Nazi demonstrations in Charlottesville. Uh, the ACLU had defended their right to have a demonstration, uh, in keeping with its long-standing tradition of standing up for the free speech rights of scumbags, uh, <laughs> and that set off the. The social justice left, uh, and so when the ACLU was giving the ACLU uh, state ACLU person is giving the speech about, you know I'm going to explain why we do this, uh, the Black Lives Matter people came and shut, and literally shut it down. They shut her down, they you know they protested, they prevented her from speaking, she had to leave. Um, again, it's like you were saying, this is the, the extreme le- the extreme left trying to pressure the center left into, uh, into kowtowing.
0: Yes, uh, and uh, I, I have sympathy for them, but while at the same time uh, being fearful that being in the sort of squishy left like that may s- <laughs> it it may be hard to have very strong principles if that's where you are intellectually. But but let's switch now to the legal side of these questions. So uh, I guess the first thing we need to do is make a distinction uh, in higher ed between. Government uh, universities right, and private and
1: private right This the courts have decided that a public university a government university in your parlance uh, Is an arm of the state of the relevant government usually the state New York City has a City College of New York I think they're probably there are surely other cities and, that have and there-
0: I don't know if this has ever been an issue, but there are federal there, military there are, the, schools, yeah, federal but, military
1: schools. Of course, that's then gets the asterisk of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So we'll just put them over here. <laughs> um the what the courts have ruled is that those public universities are arms of the state government. And therefore anything that they do, it's the same as if the state did it. So if you if uh, when I had been in college, I was on the, you know, the dissident. The, the independent student newspaper uh, and if they had said you can't distribute on campus like all the other publications uh, we would have sued them and we probably would have won uh, the uh, and so because they have to follow all the applicable first Amendment precedent there is uh, there are groups that uh, that 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 litigate and that advocate to ensure that those First Amendment pref- precedents are upheld. The best known is probably the Foundation for Individual Rights and Education. Or FIRE. FIRE, <laughs> uh, as it is as it is perhaps better known by its acronym. Yeah.
0: Now, they are often accused of being this harsh right-wing group, but is that really fair? Uh, not at
1: all. Uh, they, they will correctly say that they have represented people from all across the ideological spectrum and from no ideology whatsoever. Um, and their leadership has plenty of people who are right, by right. no means right. they Reaganite had, Republican. Right. Their leadership has some has some uh, some liberals and Democrats on it. But you know, to give a couple of examples of people who have either been advocated on behalf publicly or litigated on behalf by uh, by fire, uh, you know, a, le- a left wing professor recently got punished by Rutgers, which is the State University of New Jersey, for uh, making some extremely insensitive anti gentrification statements. FIRE stood up for him. Uh, in Iowa, student advocates for marijuana legalization uh, were denied the use of college symbols that other student other similarly situated student groups were able to use. Uh, fire sued and won uh, on their behalf. And then they also won a case uh, for a student uh, who was distributing anti-capitalist literature and one of the one of the ways that schools restrict free speech for everybody is that they say, okay, well, you can have you can have your free speech, but only in this little section of campus, the free speech zone. Uh, if you're a public university, that is a significant infringement on First Amendment rights. And if you actually enforce it against someone, uh, you and you get sued. I I am I am skeptical that one has ever been upheld. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm pretty sure that whenever it's gone for before, before the courts that. The free speech zone, it, the free speech zone can be presumed that it has lost. Uh, so on behalf of the student who is distributing anti-capitalist literature, uh, the fire sued and won. Yes. Well,
0: that that reminds me actually, uh, maybe t- I'm trying to think, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, I have a, a professor friend who's a very prominent Shakespeare scholar, and he was going to the inaugural meeting of a uh, new group. I'm going to forget the name now. But it was the idea was it was to be the not radical answer to the Modern Language Association, sure. which is what most English professors would belong to. That the famous MLA of the style book, which sure. as a University of Chicago style man, I have to say I abhor and consider part of the downfall <laughs> of Western civilization. But anyway, the this alternative to the Modern Language Association of. Crazy right-wing professors. One of the guys stood up at the very first meeting and said, "Well, I don't know why people think we're going to be so bad. I mean, it's not like there's any Republican here." <laughs> so, uh, but anyway. So, well, that. So, you told us about the the legal side for public universities. Now, it's a different uh, question on private universities. Can you give us some examples there?
1: So, private universities, in theory, can do. They, you know, a private entity, a private association has free free association rights. So they can restrict to a degree that public universities are absolutely forbidden, they can restrict student speech. Now, many of them say that they won't. You know, if if you look at the the handbooks for most of the big private universities, you know, your Harvard, Yale, Princeton, U Chicago, in fact, use Chicago has an extremely pluralist statement about how they're going to respect free speech. Um but if you look at you know look at the big major private universities, most of them say you know we will re- we will treat your free expression in alignment with fir- with the First Amendment or with principles of free speech and academic freedom. Uh, others explicitly say that they will not. These are often religious universities, BYU, Liberty, in in Lynchburg, run by, uh, run, by F- 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 well run by the F- by the Falwell by the Falwell F- family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, to give an example of how this. How this censorship can work in practice. Liberty, uh, the student, the editors of the student newspaper weren't terribly happy with the fact that uh, the Falwell family had strongly endorsed Donald Trump for president, and they had written some editorials and some uh, some op-ed pieces criticizing both then candidate Trump and the Falwells for having uh, for having been such uh, vocal supporters of him, uh, and the. University responded by firing the editor by canning the editor-in-chief of the paper requiring that staff writer that prospective writers and editors be reviewed by the administration and by censoring pieces critical of the president and of Jerry Falwell uh, That is that is entirely within liberty's rights I personally don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> Yep. uh but that is entirely within their within their rights because they don't make the assertion that they are going to treat student expression as they would if they were the government as if they were protecting the first amendment because they're supposedly not yep now as you said the university of, you mentioned the university of chicago
0: and of course um i uh, quickly say a lot of people don't realize this, but it's a relatively—it's a prestigious university, but as even by American standards, it's a pretty young university. And in fact, it was built precisely by the robber barons, uh, the the, of the so-called robber baron era of America, uh, Rockefellers and whatnot. You mean the great cap? You mean the great
1: capitalists and builders of this country? <laughs> exactly,
0: the, fo- the folks who, who who created the wealth that we now get to live off of. Um, including, at most especially, some of our uh, most well-endowed left-wing foundations. Uh, but anyway, it was those, those capitalists who built, um, in a beautiful Gothic style, just like Oxford or something, the um, University of Chicago, and it's, it is true. They have, you know, their, th- both in their statements, uh, like their official policy on free speech, uh, they've been a model, and in their practice, uh, I, I have a friend there, the um, Rachel Fulton Brown, a prominent medievalist, uh, and she uh, had hundreds and hundreds of other medievalists accuse her of being a white supremacist and all kinds of other complete nonsense, and at many a university, she would have been uh, trembling in her boots and packing her bags re- uh, ready to be fired, uh, but... The university and her dean uh, stuck by her. They didn't. They said, you know, it's not. We're not getting involved in anything that may be potentially political that you've done. But but you're a scholar, and you're allowed to have uh, dissenting views. And uh, it's not pleasant to be in her spot. But on the other hand, she doesn't have to worry about losing her job. But I think it's important to recognize, though, that the University of Chicago is definitely one of the less fun places in America to attend university. I mean, part of this. Disaster, frankly, of of lack of free speech and precisely the institutions where free speech are, is most supposed to be valued. Part of the explanation um, is philosophical, and we'll get into that in a second. But part of it
1: also is that universities evermore are really resorts. Right. It, the and and this has been a complaint, interestingly, not just by you know curmudgeonly old right wingers, but also like. Guilty, <laughs> but also uh, people on the far left that the universities have become these corporate entities, these uh, selling a life, selling essentially a, a temporary lifestyle to to students. God knows, I partook of it, <laughs> but the instead of you know the the if if you you know if you've toured a college campus recently, you know. They're, you know, they're they're going to pitch you on things like the rec center and the football games, and cafeteria, the quality of the cafeteria food, the, <laughs> the rec Gym. the rec- yeah, yeah, the, um, and you know, they know they again, their hope that that's going to be the advantage that's going to get more people to come with their uh, attendant, you know, government subsidies and uh, and student loan, student loan money, um. And part of that corporate structure is that anything that anybody who's a sticky wicket, anybody who kind of is a bump in the road, whether that's, again, an ideological conservative, and we'll get into that, or even if it's, you know, it, like, again, there have been cases. I think FIRE took this one. Uh, there was a guy, an environmental, uh, environmentalist kid who was protesting the expansion of the, of the parking lot of the parking garage on his on his college campus because it was infringing a waterway or something, and the school cracked down on it because it was against the corporate interests of the against the corporate interests of the school. Of course, he won. <laughs> he got he got he got good lawyers, and then he won. Um, you know, they're uh, at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Institute uh, Fire listed them as one of the 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 ten biggest infringers of. Free speech for last year, uh, and what what did they do? Well, uh, they cracked down on the school, on the student newspaper and student students who were objecting to a reorganization of who controlled the student union building. <laughs> it had pre- previously been the student government, and then the the school wanted to take it over, and they all protest. You know, they were protesting, and the school cracked down on them. Uh, so this there's this corporate interest also in in the suppression of speech, and at, I, you know, later in our conversation we'll get into how this corporate suppression of free speech is actually now beginning to get outside the, the campus bubble.
0: Yes, well, and and again, then, uh, the by comparison, if you go to the University of Chicago, not only do you know that there will be intellectual pluralism with real respect for it, but you also know you're going to work hard and you're going to read people like Aristotle and Immanuel Kant. Um, you are not going to be reading Amy Tan uh, in all likelihood. So uh, it it's. Probably is not, as their fine Marxist friends would say, it is not an uh, an accident that the people who engage seriously in the intellectual work of higher education uh, take pluralism diversity seriously. Uh, Well, now let's shift over to the uh, philosophical, ideological uh, side of this issue. I am so old that I can remember when it was very much the left that jumped up and down, insisting that it was going to demand and protect uh, the broadest possible
1: rights to free speech. So back in that, and that was because back in back in your day, back in the old day. I mean, I guess you're probably not so young as you remember to non- eight, Yeah, well, yeah, you're you're a little after the non protesters, but you know, I'm old if, enough to re- to have seen them on television. Uh,
0: Uh, but I was 81 to 85 at college.
1: So back then, maybe the professors were a bit, were a bit, you know, a bit liberal, uh, a bit left. But the administrators and the boards that controlled the universities, uh, were not quite so, so left. And a lot of these guys were old, you know, they had served in the war. They had, or if not the war, the war before that one, uh, you know, even if they were liberals, they were, you know, kind of strongly patriotic liberals and you don't, you know, you don't protest the war, you don't protest the the, the military, you don't, uh, you got to oppose uh, international communism or whatever. And so when the universities would go after uh, the Vietnam War protesters, the guys burning their draft cards, the uh, one kooky Marxist professor who had kooky Marxist ideas, uh, the... Uh, the liberals on campus the liberals on campus wanted procedural protections for their their free speech and for their academic freedom uh, fa- fast forward to fast forward 40 50 years now all the governing institutions are controlled by either the center left or the hard left depending on exactly where where we're talking about the The result is that there's that I'm paraphrasing a maxim and I forget who said it Uh, You know when when you are in power I will argue for free speech because that is according to your principles when I am in power I will suppress your free speech because that is in accordance with my that is in accordance (laughs) with my principles Uh, the so as you know the left has taken control and authority as the left's animating ideology has switched from procedural liberalism with a little bit of social democracy thrown in kind of like a like an egg like an egg egg whisk um into a sort of hardened identity politics all of a sudden those procedural protections which Conservatives and uh, moderates and classical liberals are taking refuge in become a threat, become a problem, and that's why you see Black Lives Matter shouting down the ACLU at William and Mary. Yes, well, the
0: something that you said there is is interesting. That you know, it certainly didn't hurt that uh, you're right. You know, in the '70s, '80s, uh, a college administrator probably did serve in World War II uh, and have and fighting precisely against Nazi totalitarianism. And uh, even through the eighties, you know, you had a very significant chunk of the world under the thumb of uh, Soviet, yeah, Soviet communist Soviet totalitarianism. Um and uh, if you are somebody under 35 now, you don't have much recollection uh yeah we we discussed we, we discuss this like we
1: discussed this in our uh in our podcast on the the Democratic Socialists of America political movement that the younger generation my my generation and younger than me uh have no living memory of the Soviet Union uh again the Berlin Wall falls 4 months after I'm born um uh, the the danger you know the dangers of this of of repression of uh ideolo- of ideological debate. Enforced conformity. Yeah, yeah. And the, the dangers of enforced conformity uh are not in the lived experience of my generation. What we do have are a knowledge of the dangers of of the of the of the cost. I mean, because there is a cost to free speech. The Nazis do get to march in Skokie. The Nazis do get to have their rally come riot in Charlottesville. You know we're aware of those costs. We see them, um, but we are not as aware of the costs of of, of enforced conformity of of a crack of a crackdown. Yeah.
0: Now, having said that, on the other hand, I can remember back in the early '80s because I had some very good professors uh, that if you actually paid careful attention, if you did the hard, careful reading that is supposed to be the essence of higher education, then uh you might you would come across things like Herbert Marcuse's actual ideas and Marcuse was actually very clear that uh we are going to demand now when we do not have full power all the free speech possible busting things up and and being able to say extreme things but when we have power we are going to exercise uh, intolerance because Tolerance
1: itself is repressive unless we're in power. Well, and you're seeing that now with the intersectional with the intersectional left. That, you know, when somebody like somebody like a Ben Shapiro, a conservative commentator who does college lectures through the Young, Ameri- Young America's Foundation, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, through the Young America's Foundation, uh, you know, he is by all that I can tell. Whatever you think of his style, and I'm not a huge fan of him. Uh, his ideology is kind of straightforward, old-fashioned Republican. I think I think that's probably fair. Yeah.
0: Lower taxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lower, less regulation. lower taxes, less regulation. Israel
1: <laughs> is good. Okay. Yeah. Um. But you know, once he goes onto campus, the the intersectional left say, I feel unsafe. This is violence against me. Uh. Which is kind of ironic, because then when he actually shows up, they have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in in extra security fee because of actual threats of violence against him. (laughs) Yes. Um, But you end up, you know, the the intersectional people say that, well, okay, you know, if you're not an Anglo male, like us, (laughs) Uh, you you are oppressed by so many vectors of oppression and they all interact you left out the heterosexual I, I left out, I did leave out heterosexual sorry um, the, If you're not a heterosexual anglo-male uh, You know there are all these vectors of oppression that are oppressing you and they all are working together to to support anglo-male suprem- heterosexual anglo-male supremacy uh, and anything that you know Opposes whatever it is we came up with this week to supposedly break up those networks of oppression uh, is literal violence. No different than if I came at you with a knife. And as a result, this is where you get the kind of the beginnings of safe space cult of safe space culture. You know, what was, you know, a- an understandable, if maybe a bit patronizing, idea that. You know, people might want a place where they can talk it out themselves. Then all of a sudden becomes a sword. You know, what was a, you know, uh, Ken White, the blogger Pope Hat, uh, who's a mm-hmm. uh, an attorney who has uh, special interest in free speech issues, you know, talks about safe spaces as a sword and a shield. And there's safe spaces as a shield, which is, you know, okay. It, you know, like having your own, you know, meeting of the of the friends of the, par- friends of the, let's say the friends of the Republican Party. You know, you'll sit together and you talk about, privately about things you all agree with, and it's all to kind of build yourself up, and that's fine. But then you have safe spaces as a sword, where uh, the intersectional left goes to the administration and says, you know, if Ben Shapiro gives a speech, we're all going to feel bad, and therefore you have to shut Ben Shapiro up. And you have more movement towards that safe spaces as a sword uh, from the intersectional left. Yeah. this, I think, is a, is a
0: uh, maybe the most dangerous, most uh, scary part of the whole topic that we're, we're discussing. Because I, I want to stress, they, they start by saying that a Ben Shapiro or some other conservative figure, that that person's speech equals violence. Yes. And it's very hard for me to believe that they don't, in the end make that claim because they want to be able to flip. Once you've got A equals B, and we then have, you can say then B, you equals, can say B a, equals A, which is to and say that- real violence is just speech. If Antifa and we've, and we've, burns and we've, and down a building, and we've seen that, And speaking. we've seen that
1: with some of the Antifa riots that, you know, again, the, the, the protests of the Trump inauguration, you know, one of the images of it was arson against a vehicle, which was, Interestingly, operated by a Muslim, uh, by an Arab Muslim immigrant, uh, the collateral damage. You got to break a few eggs. What is it? You got to break, break a, few a few eggs. Break a few eggs to make an omelet. Yeah. Chobspierre. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to the extent that this in, that this corollary to intersectional ideology is taking hold, that's very bad for free, exp- free expression. Now,
0: to be fair, again, we should just say that the there is also a corporate angle to this. It isn't just Herbert Marcuse right, right. deserves lots of blame, but there's a corporate, corporate right, side right. Yeah, too. we we
1: we discuss we discussed the the sort of the the crackdowns for corporate PR purposes, and 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 this is where you get some of those uh, people on the far on the far left, the the like you know the Marxist left, the um, very far the fringes of the intersectional left, um, who say that. Oh, you know, they're crack down on our free speech. They cracked down on our free speech more than your free speech. Well, one not quite clear that that's true when you figure out the proportions. You know, if if we want to apply the uh, the liberal theory of disparate impact, uh, well, if you look at the disparate impact, <laughs> yes. uh, that it looks like conservatives get it worse than the left. Um, but there is also this again corporate incentive when somebody on the extreme left says an extreme left thing that makes prospective students all kind of recoil that I actually I don't believe that uh I you know am I going to be denounced in my in my classes let me look at this other university oh okay the incorporate crackdown uh you know that that does happen uh,
0: yep well let's uh let's try to uh, make progress by getting out of the campus bubble, because to a large extent, a lot of this comes precisely from the hothouse nature of that campus bubble. Um, uh, From the outside, there are folks on the left who say that conservatives are blowing this problem out of proportion. Is
1: that fair? Not really. Um, The the issue... There there are a couple of... Facts that that, in, that make the concern that conservatives uh, and classical liberals have shown for the culture of free speech on campus uh, that make it that make it valid even if uh, you're not a on a college campus or you're not the parents of a uh, of a college student or an immediate prospective college student. Uh, first you know first of all the the real far left not the democrat you know not necessarily the democratic party but the real far left doesn't control all that much in this country one of the things they do control is universities and to the extent that the far left says that they want to take control of other things if we look at what they do control and what's going on there we can reasonably uh, look outside, you know, try to expand. Okay, well, if that's how you run what you run now, is that what you're going to run, how you're going to run what you're going to run tomorrow, yes. or what you're asking to run tomorrow? If you've got now, today, Cornell, tomorrow, Congress. Right. <laughs> what, does right. Like? what does that look like? Right. Uh, what does that look like? Second, obviously, the people who are going to be Congress and the judiciary and uh, presidents of the United States and senior business senior business people and lawyers who argue cases and, uh, you know, the Public policy people who develop public policy—they are all being large. You know, I mean, it's hard to think of. There are a few members of Congress who don't have an undergraduate degree, but no lawyer. You know, no lawyers, no judges, uh, no presidents since modern <laughs> since modern times. Uh, since Truman, I think, was the last not to have a college degree. Um, you know, they're being trained. You know, they're being trained and taught and inculcated with values on college campuses. So there's the look at, okay, if this is what you're doing now, is this what the country's going to look like in 30 years? Uh,
0: Yep. And then there's also something that uh, David French, National Review writer, calls the the insidious internal mob.
1: So once those kids get out of their, get off their college campus and get off and go into even low-level positions in especially technology and media, the, the big tech companies and media companies, which aren't known to have a layer of, uh, you know, moderating Gen Xers <laughs> um, who may uh, leaven the, uh, the uh, political radicalism of youth Uh they are a pressure a pressure point within major companies to engage in engage in censorship, to engage in repression of dissenting views. Uh, you know what's the difference between uh, Kevin will you know Kevin Williamson, who we discussed uh, with Bill Meyerling, who was fired from the Atlantic uh, after he said some. He expressed pro-life beliefs in a blunt and (laughs) undiplomatic, blunt and undiplomatic way. Uh, And Sarah Jong, who expressed frustration with Anglo male Americans in a blunt and undiplomatic way, and continues to hold her position on the editorial board of the New York Times. Well, it's not so much outside pressure; it's more inside pressure. It's more that at the young, millennial left-wing, fresh out of college, writers and staff at The Atlantic thought, you know, could go to the editor of uh, of The Atlantic and say, Williamson's speech is violence. Williamson is a threat to me. He he is evil and he must be gotten rid of. And then, whereas for Jong, there was no such pressure. If anything, the pressure was, you know, stick it to those... Stick it to those crazy right wingers. Yep. Keep her on.
0: Well, this is we, we can't get too far into this because it would be uh, an entire additional show. But yes, as you were saying that in the tech and media industries, uh, that the examples you gave were both uh, sort of media. But of course, in tech, we have Twitter, we have Facebook. Um, th- these are huge problems there. I I, I can't uh, keep from more, mentioning- f- more
1: Facebook and Google. Twitter's actually surprisingly surprisingly open to free speech. At least well, re- at least recently, it has been
0: uh a a complicated question but 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 arguably they're less they're less bad arguably but the um uh but for instance uh, jake klein who produces this podcast and produces all of capital research center's um uh films and videos uh he did a short video attacking identity politics very explicitly attacking left and right wing identity politics and uh some of the fine tech censor folks uh, censored that, and we af- and after multiple reviews, as I'm recalling the story now, there was there were multiple multiple is, manual this is, reviews. Was this by YouTube. I, I, I was it was it YouTube or was it uh, Google? I'm I'm not sure. I remember, uh, uh, but it definitely was uh, received some censorship right up until a. Few minutes after Fox News called to inquire about this, um, but it was pure insanity. I right, mean, it was and, and explicitly well, and, and this, attacking any kind of nasty and identity this, politics and of this show
1: side. and this shows the importance of raising concern about this issue. Uh, Capital Research Center's Documentary Wing, run by Mr. Klein, uh, this is co-producing a. Uh, it's going to be a theatrical, is it a release? Yes, theatrical release. Yep, theatrical theatrical release. Release, mm-hmm. uh, full-length documentary with uh, conservative commentator Dennis Prager, who recently had his videos... At PragerU. Effe- uh, uh, ...effectively censored by Facebook, uh, and sort of comedian and podcast extraordinaire Adam Carolla, um, uh, We're titled No Safe Spaces is going to be released...
0: Probably in the spring, but uh, yes. everybody should go to nosafespaces.com dot and uh, to check out the latest news, uh, and the trailer and whatnot for the. It's going to be it's going to be really good. Very uh, exciting. You about know, it. so
1: that's so that's you know also to raise raise awareness and raise concern uh, about these sorts of these sorts of crackdowns about the use of the safe space idea not as a shield to take refuge but as a sword uh, to censor, and. Uh again, I kind of argue that what we're the bigger the bigger problem is that we are teaching not just I mean, students, obviously to the extent it's a it's a college problem, but to the extent it's an outside of college problem. Uh we're teaching people to look for slights and run with them and to try to gain advantage rather than teaching uh forbearance, rather than saying that, you know, does this really affect does this really affect my life? Is this really a danger to me is this really, you know, is this thing that has set me off. And, you know, we talk about the college kids, but, you know, you also get the people who are, you know, oh, you gave me a dirty look because I'm wearing a red hat. You know, there's, you know, now I'm going to go, now I'm going to go ruin your life. Otherwise known as growing up. Uh, Yeah. We're, 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 we, as a society, both sides are not teaching our, 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 we've, created this social cycle where rather than growing up and saying, okay, I'm just going to, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words may never hurt me. I'm going to, I'm not going to go looking for slights. I'm going to be uh, disciplined in deciding which slights I bothered to, I deign to respond to. Uh, Instead we're saying, no, no, no. Some, you know, any slight, any bad, you know, any, any bad joke, you know, if, you know, if a joke doesn't land, you lose your job. I, I mean, I don't think that's, that's a way to run a society that's ultimately healthy in the long run.
0: No, no. Uh, it's, it's utopian, uh, one might even say, which uh, in practice, utopia always le- seems to lead to brutal dystopia. I, so, so, it seem, I, so it seems. Well, uh, thanks so much. That is our show for this week. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher, know that we broadcast a live video version of the podcast at 10 a.m. on Thursdays on Facebook Live and YouTube. Uh, you can find our pages by searching Capital Research Center. Uh, and if you're watching the video version, we want to encourage you to subscribe to the audio on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next week.